This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here today with Wharton management professor John Paul McDuffie to talk about the auto industry and the Cash for Clunkers program from the U.S. government that seems to be offering it quite a uh, quite a spark. Uh, John Paul, thanks for being with us today. Glad to be here. Do you think there's a good return on the investment for taxpayers in this program in terms of the kind of reaction it's gotten in that industry? Uh there's probably some different angles on that question. Uh, I think probably the best way to see cash for clunkers is as a short-term stimulus for the auto industry for sure, um, but also designed to help the overall economy. Any program like this that relies on uh, incentives to purchase now tends to steal demand from future periods. But right now, uh, that's a good thing for the auto industry, which has had such a devastating drop in sales over the last year, both because of the general economic conditions and because of the credit crisis. And for companies like General Motors and Chrysler that are just coming out from bankruptcy, seeing people flooding back into showrooms is a very positive sign. Do you think that the fact that uh, consumers have reacted in such a surprising uh, volume to this offer says anything about the where consumers are in the and relative to the state of the economy right now? Are they ready to spend if they just feel confident about it? Well, I mean, of course they're they're looking for a deal, and if you happen to have a vehicle that qualifies, um, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, typically. These are vehicles people would have replaced at some point, and now they're replacing them probably earlier, and they're getting a nice uh, rebate on a, on a new vehicle. Um, so, But I do think, for example, one thing I, uh, I saw a news report about today is that used car sales are also up. And the usual thought about something like this is it's going to steal sales from the used car uh, sales. But apparently people who show up at a dealership with a vehicle they hope qualifies for a rebate, if they find out it doesn't, they're sticking around. And uh, in many cases, they're mm-hmm. buying a used vehicle. So uh, in, in that sort of psychological sense of getting people out shopping, it seems to be having spillover effects beyond just the uh, specific thing it's designed for. Dealers have always said they just want to get somebody in the showroom and they'll take it from there, right? Absolutely. What kind of management lessons have we learned uh, from this chapter of the uh, in the auto industry in terms of responding to a really, really tight credit market? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's so many different stories out there in this uh, very dramatic past year that uh, probably you've got to sort that into some different categories. Uh, I mean, for Jam and Chrysler, uh, they got into as much trouble as they got into, not only because of some weaknesses they had as a company, but because their debt levels had soared to such high levels. Uh, and then they were so vulnerable when the when the crunch came that they just had no hope. Um, maybe the biggest lessons out of the GM and Chrysler bankruptcies so far is that the the government action seemed to push them to make more changes faster. Uh, that the bankruptcy process itself turned out to be uh, unbelievably fast, and therefore to have less of a negative impact on these companies than anyone expected. So they emerge with a real chance to uh, show people if, if what they've been saying is true, that they, in fact, do have good products and they were making a lot of positive changes and they just needed to shake some of the legacy costs and, and some of the uh, burdens of, of the past. So they now have that chance. 
Um, for F- Ford, it looks like uh, a real example of a new CEO who came from another industry with some new perspectives who uh, managed to fashion a strategy that certainly was partly lucky but also uh, partly savvy in terms of getting a hold of, uh, of uh, some credit for Ford, uh, some borrowing some money for mm-hmm. Ford that they could pour into new product uh, well before the crisis hit. And Ford is now doing everything they can to capitalize on being the one company that didn't take government aid, something that, by the way, still remains largely very unpopular um, with the public. Uh, Hyundai is the, is the uh, you know, up-and-coming company that looks to be gaining maybe the maximum advantage out of the crisis so far. Their, their sales have actually been growing when most others mm-hmm. have been shrinking. Uh, they did a very uh, uh, smart thing that's being heralded by uh, marketing professionals everywhere in in uh, January. I guess it first appeared at the Super Bowl with this Hyundai uh, Assurance program right. where they basically mm-hmm. promised if you buy a new Hyundai and then you lose your job, you can get most of that rebated to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, they seem to be uh, you know hitting hitting the marks pretty well with getting new products out there. Their new luxury vehicle, the Genesis. Not the best time, you would think, to launch a luxury vehicle, but it's a luxury vehicle that's a great value and is getting great press. It is. One car of the year, and mm-hmm. the, now the the, uh, the sportier version is uh, is getting getting rave reviews as well. So, um, and, you know, I think the, the management lesson that, that company a company like Toyota seems to be uh, extracting from this is that they may have grown uh, a bit too quickly and uh, too aggressively to have this full product lineup. Uh, it took them into the kind of large vehicles, trucks, and SUVs that uh, are now uh, out, of, out of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're having to scramble to adjust to, uh, to their own somewhat mis- misplaced trajectory. I see. One of the remarkable things about Hyundai was that it responded so quickly to the change in the market, that it saw that Americans were hesitant to buy because they worried about the future, and yet, and so they were able to put this together this marketing program pretty quickly, and then they followed it up with a program that offered some um, rebates on on your car payments, even. Yes, yeah, and of course, you know, and some competitors have come in quickly with with copycat programs, but they get the real benefit of it by being the first. And so is is speed part of the lesson the re- your reaction time to these to these changes in the market? Well, I I think I think speed is is certainly important. Um, you know, there's one of the things that is undoubtedly hurting a company like Toyota right now is that they have this kind of tradition of not doing layoffs. And so uh, they do did have a lot of temporary workers in Japan at the start of this crisis. They did end the contracts of the temporary workers, but otherwise they're holding on to all their employees. It's obviously adding a lot of cost for them. You might say the the fast thing to do would be to make those uh, those layoffs to reduce those costs in the time of the downturn, but that would be so against Toyota's culture, and we may find that ultimately they gain the benefit in terms of the uh, commitment and motivation right. of the workforce and keeping the quality strong, all those things in the long run. So so it's probably a mix of you got to make sure you don't undercut your long-term capabilities and strengths by something you do quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, Nissan just this week announced that it would be introducing the first all-electric car in Europe, Japan, and the United States in 2010, far ahead of their original schedule and I believe ahead of other manufacturers. What do you make of that? 
Well, uh, so first of all, Nissan has made it clear for a few years now that uh, they didn't see the value of making a huge investment in the in the hybrid drivetrains that have gotten so much attention for Toyota and Honda. Uh, that it's an expensive investment, and Toyota got the largest benefit by being first to market. Honda has certainly grabbed some advantage being right behind them. But for Nissan to develop its own, bring it to market, you know, years later. Uh, probably not a lot of advantage. So they essentially they've 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 got a couple of hybrid models. They licensed the technology from Toyota, actually. But for them, the place they decided to make a uh, make a make a mark and make a stand was with electric. So I mean, 2010 could be uh, uh, an interesting year in terms of the all electric vehicles. That's when the General Motors Volt, the Chevy That's Volt, true. is supposed to be introduced. And Toyota has been saying that they would have a, a plug-in hybrid. Um, by around that time, uh, they haven't been very specific. Toyota is usually rather cautious; doesn't care so much about being first to market. They just want to be sure it works. Um, so Nissan may may actually uh, uh, sneak in there bef- before Toyota, um, but the public will really get their first look at at uh, at these vehicles, and we'll be curious to see what the prices are like. The Volt we were hearing would be priced around forty thousand. That's going to put it out of the the reach of, of many, many consumers. Uh, we don't know where the Nissan's going to come in just now. Mm-hmm. Are there any choke points, I guess, for, for these electric cars? For example, if you have to have a place to plug in your car, so if you live in a building that's a condominium and there's no real way to plug in your car each evening, those people are kind of locked out of the, out of the market. Um, um, are there other things that are going to keep people away from um, electric cars other than they're just their own initial resistance to the idea? Well, the the plug-in hybrid is ideal for, uh, you know, people who primarily have a lot of relatively short-range trips. They'll be able to run entirely on the charge battery and not need uh, anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Volt has a design where there is a, uh, uh, a gasoline-powered engine, but it only is used to recharge the battery, so then you can extend the range mm-hmm. um, that way. Uh, you know, it, it does point out that infrastructure ultimately is going to be a huge part of, of this whole electrification process uh, being very extensive because, uh, as you say, sure, if you've got your own garage, you park in every night, you can, can plug in there, it's fine. But, but if you don't have those conditions, uh, you know, people are talking about the perhaps the, the, the best-known uh, example of somebody out there talking about the whole range of these things is – this guy, Shai Agassi, from A Better Place, um, he wants to be in all aspects of providing the infrastructure for the electricity, mm-hmm. so almost an energy provider to the users of automobiles, both a place that people can come and swap out a depleted battery for a new one, but also putting recharging stations into parking lots uh, along city streets, uh, This is going to be a massive effort that will require government participation, but there may be a public-private partnership that makes it happen. Is there a way to handicap the race for the new technologies for for automobiles, Uh, whether it would be – is the successor to the internal combustion engine more likely to be a fuel cell vehicle or an electric vehicle or something else? Um, You know, I think the the fuel cell – world still seems a long way off. And mm-hmm. so the excitement has really shifted to these various all-electric all electric alternatives. Um, there's still maybe some action in alternative fuels, which can be used uh, 
you know, ethanol-based fuels or biodiesel or things like that. Um, but I think the, the all-electric is where probably the most action will be. The um, one interesting question from an industry structure point of view is how what role will be played by small startups uh, like Fiskar or like Tesla uh, mm-hmm. versus the, the big OEMs. It seems unlikely that any small startup is going to be able to really scale up to the level that would bring prices are really low. But a promising startup that's got a really great technology might be a prime acquisition target um, in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so there will be that kind of model of innovation appearing different places and then getting folded into the larger production and distribution system that you really need to have a mass impact. Now, Ed Whitaker just took over as chairman of GM. What are the uh, what's the next quarter going to look like for GM? Are they still going to be in their rebuilding phase? Oh, absolutely, and and rebuilding not only in terms of uh, you know getting getting product out there, getting the factories going again, and all that, um, but in terms of thinking about what the what the management structure should be and what the management culture should be. The uh, the board is uh, f- for the most part new, mm-hmm. with uh, not only a new chairman but many new board members appointed by the different constituencies, the, the new owners essentially, uh, a lot by the government, some by the Canadian government, one by the United Auto Workers. Um, so how's that new board going to work? What kinds of uh, things are they going to to demand of the management? Are they going to make some changes in management? Some have raised questions about whether Fritz Henderson, the CEO, will uh, be able to lead a sufficient change in GM's culture, given that he's one of a long line of CEOs that grew up as a finance person, as a lifer in GM. Uh, in that sense, he's not substantially different from a Rick Wagner or a Roger Smith, some of the finance CEOs of the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the things I think we'll look for is uh, – whether there's a reaching both outside for some uh, perhaps some new talent, but also down in the ranks for younger people who may have a, a real uh, grasp of what GM needs to do to change and survive this this transition. What is the thing that GM needs most in terms of its uh, uh, product line? Well, you know, they they can really use uh, some some buzz about some new products uh, to help get people into showrooms. Uh, it would help if that happens not just for sort of niche vehicles like the Camaro, which is currently uh, mm-hmm. producing some of that kind of buzz, but for some of the more mass market vehicles. Uh, you know, Ford seems to be doing very well, particularly in this uh, Cash for Clunkers program with both the Focus and the Fusion, two of their mainstream uh, vehicles, and they're trying to make sure cars are back to being the heart of their their lineup. Um, GM's Malibu has gotten uh, some awards, but for the most part, their sedan line is still not all that distinguished. Mm-hmm. And um, and another thing they need, I think, is, is a, a, a very very consistent quality record across the board for each new product. So the buzz, the excitement is great, but the quality reputation is still, uh, there's sort of still a lingering suspicion that the quality may not be that good, even though they've made dramatic improvements. They've had such a huge product line. They've had good products and bad. All it takes is for someone to hear about a neighbor who had a bad experience with a GM car or right. for somebody to rent a GM car and not, not like it for that reputation to be uh, continued. So how do you turn around a reputation that's built for years? That's part of their challenge. Yeah, would, would that make them a, a likely candidate for, one of these, uh, for acquiring one of these uh, interesting startups? 
Well, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think, uh, who knows, maybe down the road. But for the moment, I think GM really needs to focus on uh, sort of the, the blocking and tackling sort of the core right. of their business and, and not get distracted from that. You know, pulling off the Volt, which they've obviously talked about so much and raised such high expectations for. If the Volt is successful uh, in terms of, uh, you know, how the product works and how the customers like it, uh, that's that will be big for them even if the sales are not that high. But if the Volt has problems and there are, are competing products in that same space uh, that do better, then it will look like another in a, in a stream of product-related failures or disappointments out of GM, and they need to change that storyline. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.